we did the book of Hosea already. We did a, a, a quick run through the book of Hosea, and Hosea was writing to the northern kingdom of Israel, where we see Joel's writing to the southern kingdom. But the message of Hosea, just in way of review, is that God's love is unrelenting, that he is always ready to, for those who return to him. And we see that picture in Hosea of a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife, and the wife departs, but she returns, and, and that uh, the husband would receive her back. And, and uh, it's a picture, really, of the people of Israel, that they left the Lord. They were following after false gods, but they would return. And God was always calling them back, and he always calls us back, too. And someone said this, that the key word in the book of Hosea is to return. It's used 22 times, 22 times to return, return, return. And God's always there. So the question for you and I today is where are we today? Do we know that we are loved by him, that his love is unrelenting, that he does not stop loving us no matter what? Today, uh, in the book of jo Joel, Joel, um, really... It's really about crisis. Crisis. How many of you know what crisis is? You know, in your, your own life, maybe in your own, your own life, but, but in our country, the word is, cri you know, economic crisis hit about what? How many years ago was it now? I'm sure glad it's all done. <laughs> it hit, you know, so many years ago, and it's just like carrying on, and, 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 uh, you know, it like affects everybody, but, but there's also such a thing as a spiritual crisis. And I think that that's been hitting, too, in the last, say, 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, spiritual crisis of our country. And it's coming to, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I think we're in a spiritual crisis situation. We can look around and say, oh, everything's fine, everything's cool, everything's good. But it is not fine. It is not good. It's a spiritual crisis as well as an economic crisis. And that's what was going on back in the day of Joel. Now, Joel, he wrote this prophecy really about 830 B.C. So that's like 2,800 plus years ago, right? Almost 2,850 years ago. That's a long time ago to write. For us to be reading, sometimes we don't realize that these words were written a very long time ago, but yet they still have power for today. That's because God's Word is alive. And there's a message in it for us today because the truth is things don't change much, right? Someone said to me today, I don't like change, no change. <laughs> I say, well, you know, things don't change much because people don't change much. The truth is Solomon said, you know, that, that uh, there's nothing new under the sun. So Joel is writing... And his message, I think, is a very powerful message. We're going to look at this in the next uh, three lessons. Messages, really. Um, he is one of the earliest prophets. And he's writing, as I said earlier, to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And he was shortly after Elijah and Elisha. And maybe he even knew them. It's, it's possible. But his whole purpose was to turn the nation back to God. And, and the, the prophets who would write, that was one of their big things, was to turn the nation back to God because they would wander away. They, they were called by the prophets, and it says in the New Testament, you know, I sent them again and again and again, but you didn't listen. Or maybe it said that in the Old Testament. 
But that was the job of the prophet, was to turn the nation back to God. And, and one of the key themes here is, look at chapter 1 of Joel, verse 15. It says, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. One of the things that he mentions five times in this short book of three chapters is the day of the Lord. And that's one of the big themes is, is that, that we need to turn our hearts back to the Lord. We need to turn back to Him. And he was in preparation for the, the coming of that great day of the Lord. And that's what he was saying to them. That's what the message is for us is, is today as well, to, to turn to God for the day of the Lord, as it says here in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near. Now, I think that's, I think personally, I believe that's true for us as a nation. But the nation is made up of individuals, right? It's made up of people like you and like me. And it, it gets down to a very personal level for you and for me to turn to the Lord, to repent and turn to Him because the day of the, the Lord is near. And, and our nation isn't just, you know, the government up there and the choices that they're making and you know, the Supreme Court over here and the Congress over here. No, it gets down to individuals like you and me. What kind of decisions are we making? So let's make sure that we understand that the Word of God is always personal as well as national. He wasn't just talking to the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, but he was also talking to individuals. So let's start the book here, Joel 1.1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And I've kind of mentioned it already, but notice here it says that the word of the Lord that came. This wasn't just some preacher making up some fancy sermon and coming up with ideas of his own. This was the word of the Lord. And, and we need to understand that this book that we have, this is God's word. This is the word of the Lord. And this is, this is, one, this is where the, the biggest part of the spiritual crisis that has arrived in our country is the, the uh, devaluing of God's word. And the fact that God's word, we're, we're becoming spiritually and biblically illiterate because we don't know what God's word says. And, and the churches are you know, filled with people, but there's a lot of entertainment, a lot of stuff going on, but not enough, not a lot of getting into what God's word has to say. Why? Because we don't really like to hear what it always has to say. But God's word is powerful. And you and I need to be reading it. The, the, the prophets, it says, and Peter talked about this in 2 Peter. He says that the, you must understand, he says this in chapter 1, that, that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It wasn't his own idea, in other words. He said, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. These words that they gave, that the Holy Spirit was, was guiding them, moving them, carrying them along, and they spoke from God. And we, and we are reading now what God has spoken through this man. So let's look at verse 2. It says, hear this. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? This crisis that happened. He says... You need to hear, but you also need to listen. Isn't it true that we can hear something, but we're not really listening? Some of you are hearing me right now, but you're, are you really listening to what I'm saying? Not so much to what I'm saying, but what God's Word is saying here. 
He says, listen, something's happening here and it's radical and I, and I think we need to pay attention. It will get our attention if, we, if it doesn't have our attention yet. But again, what was happening there and what's happening in our day, there's radical stuff that is taking place. So we need to hear, we need to listen, we need to pay attention. One of the things that we notice about this book of Joel, that it, there's some action verbs that, that are in this book. Action verbs, right? You know, action verbs where you've got to do something. And, and that's what we see here, too, is starting off with hear and listen. In, other, in, in, um, in actuality, there are 57, 57 imperatives like those two in these three short chapters. In other words, you've got to listen. You've got to do something. Joel isn't just saying, let me just tell you a nice little story, a nice little sermon, a nice little message. You can go home, feel happy, you, you know, all warm in your belly and everything. He's saying, no, wait a minute, there's some problems. There's some serious stuff going on, and, I, and you need to listen and pay attention. Verse uh, 3, he says, tell it to your children. Another imperative, that we need to pass it on to the next generation. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. This has to go. We have to pass this message on. If you and I don't pass it on to our children, who will? If, if we don't pass it on to them, how, who's going to pass it on to their children? It's a scary, scary day that we live in. But we need to be uh, sharing what the, what the Word of God says and passing it on to them. Verse 4, we get to what the crisis is that was happening there in that day. He says, what the locust swarm has left. The great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. There was a progression here in this verse 4. The locusts had come, and it was a a devastation, desolation that had come. And, and in that day, this was like, this is this calamity that happened, affected their society, affected every single person. They couldn't just get stuff from somewhere else. You see a very kind of an agricultural society, and it's all wrapped up in, in the agriculture and living off the land. But this devastation, this desolation that came, there was nothing left. There was nothing left. It, got, it went from bad to worse. Wow, what a great message you have for us today, Pastor Rich. I love this message you're coming up with. From bad to worse. We're just reading what it says here, right? We're just teaching what God's Word says here. That's all I can do. You know, I was, I, you know, I was actually not dreading, but like, how am I going to present this message, present this Word like I chose to do this? So I, I got to go through with this. I got to follow through. I felt like it was the right thing that God was leading me to, to go through the, and, and go through the minor prophets and then go back and forth. So I can't really get out of this personally. But this calamity that's happening and then, and then thinking about the, you know, the, the stuff that's going on in our country, the, the economic and the spiritual crisis that I believe is happening that we need to pay attention to, what is going on here? Now, let me ask you the question here. Do we really know, in, this, in, the, in the case of calamity and desolation like this, is it caused directly by God? Some of you might be thinking. Or is it allowed by God? We don't always know the answer to that question. We don't really need to know the answer to the question because we know that God is sovereign. But let me read to you what one man said. He said, underlying Joel's cry was the conviction that God is in control of events in this world. 
He said, when disaster strikes, an appropriate response is to examine our hearts and to see if perhaps God is crying out for our attention. If God is crying out for our attention. Somehow God is involved and and somehow, uh, no matter what it is, whether he allowed it or he caused it directly, this calamity, this crisis is happening and we need to listen to him. We need to stop and listen and say, God, what is going on and what are you trying to say? Maybe in our own lives we can make it even more personal. There's a crisis going on. We need to stop and we need to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Verse 5, what does he say there? He says, wake up. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. He says three, three things there. Wake up, weep, wail. Again, these action verse, he says, what, what should we do? Well, we, should need to, we need to wake up, pay attention. See, one of the things about the fact when we, when we drink too much and we get drunk is that we're oblivious to what's going on around us. And this is what he's saying here today. We, we, we're sometimes we're just so oblivious to what's going on around us, we have no clue how, how things are working out in this world. Verse 6, he says this, a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark, thrown it away, leaving their branches wide. He keeps talking about it like it's his. God still cares for it. He still cares for our country, I believe. But stuff has happened that is not good. What should we do? Verse 8, he says, this is what you should do. He says you should mourn. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Mourn and grieve, he says. He talks about a wife who was pledged to be married, and, and she knew that her wedding day was coming up, and, and, and yet before the wedding ever took place, her husband was killed or died or whatever happened to him. And the mourning and the grieving that took place. He's saying this is the kind of, if you can put yourself in that position, what it must have been like. You know, you're looking forward to this day, this very special day. You're going to finally be married to the, the, the person of your dreams and, and it gets cut off before it ever takes place. That's the kind of feelings that Joel is talking about here that the Lord is speaking. But do we see that happening in our country today? I, I don't see it much, honestly. Do we see it happening in our, in our own lives? Uh, you know, or, or, or mostly what, what I see in, 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 and know is that we just kind of carry on as normal. We just, it's just business as usual. You know, it'll get better. It always gets better. It's just a little hiccup. You know, there's going to be a, a market correction. There's going to be, you know, things will get better. There'll be a, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start studying the Bible again someday in our country. Churches will be full again. But Warren Wiersbe said this, too often we drift along from day to day, taking our blessings for granted until God permits a natural calamity to occur and to remind us of our total dependence on Him. He said, when water is rationed and food is scarce, when prices for necessity escalate, then we discover the poverty of our artificial civilization and our throwaway society he said, God didn't have to send great battalions to Judah to bring the people to their knees. All he needed 
was a swarm of little insects. Interesting, isn't it? You say, well, it's not really that bad today. Really, it's not. No, but we need to be ready. We need to understand that if it gets worse, what is God trying to say? What is God trying to do? And, and, and what am I going to do? See, it affected them spiritually as well. In verse 9, it says that the grain offerings and the drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up and the oil fails. It affected the, the, the offerings. It affected the worship. Worship was affected. And you know what? We, what? Some of the things that have happened even recently in our society, in our country, will affect the church. It is just a matter of time. If you can't see the, you know, the writing on the wall that Daniel spoke about, it, it is going, going to be affecting our churches before, it, before we know it. You know, 10 years ago, we would have said, you know, oh, the stuff that's going on in society really isn't going to change our church as much. But you know what? It, now it's like it's, it's on the verge. In some places, it's already happening. I think we need to be mourning and weeping and wailing for the state of, of our society, the state of our church, the state of our world state of our country, but, but even so, the state of my own heart, how am I going to be affected by this? Look at verse 11. He says, despair, you farmers, wail. You vine growers, grieve for the, the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. But look at that last section of that verse. He said, surely the joy of mankind is withered away. It's going to get to that. You know what? I, I can't help but talk about our country, and I can't help but talk about our own personal lives. Walking and following after the, the God of creation has a huge effect on our society, on, on what our society, how it functions in, in our own lives, too, what kind of joy we have when we're following after Jesus Christ, following after the Word of God, doing what the Word of God says, that's when the joy can come. That's when the joy of mankind can come, in our own lives as well. But when we begin to wander away, the joy of mankind, he says, is withered away. The blessing of God is lifted. Like I, I, I spoke about last week, you know, where where the enemy was trying to get Nehemiah to disobey the word of God so that God could protect him. It makes no sense, right? But when we walk away from the word of God and disobey the word of God, the blessing of God is lifted. And I've said this before, but I say it again. Our response when that happens, what do you hear in the news and the media? What do you hear people saying? God bless America. God bless America. There's something wrong with that. It doesn't fit. God bless our sinfulness. God bless our turning away from you. God bless our, you know, calling evil good and good evil. God bless that. He can't bless it. It is not possible for him to do that. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? God bless America? No, that's not the prayer that we should be praying. The prayer that we should be praying is what we see here in the book of Joel and so many other places. God, have mercy on America. God, we turn to you. We repent. We turn away from the evil in our own lives, the evil in our society, and we turn to you. The header of the next section is the call to repentance. In verse 13, he says, Put on sackcloth, O, o priests. And sackcloth was, sackcloth was this like very rough clothing type material that they would put on, and it was like it was miserable. I'm not saying we all need to put sackcloth on, but the idea is that we need to realize that this is something that's right here in our, in our lives, in our world. He says, O priests, and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. There's a, there's a pretty big uh, responsibility to those leaders in our church and in, 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 in the church as a whole as well. A big responsibility, a big accountability for those that would get and, and, and be leading churches and not ever get turning back to the Word of God, not ever opening the book. I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll on the radio uh, uh, the other day, and he was talking, you know, he's, he's talking about how he's been to a lot of different churches. He went to a church, and he was the only one that had a Bible. He went to the church. He was called to speak there or whatever. Well, they got the Word that day. But he was the only one that had, the, had a Bible with him. The only one. What is wrong with that? What's wrong with this picture? He says, Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Verse 14, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. That's the answer. Not God bless America. Not singing God bless America. Not, I heard that in a weird context the other day too. Cry out to the Lord. That's, that's what makes the difference. We cry out to Him. Have a holy fast, a sacred assembly where we get together and, and we pray. We haven't done this for a few years, but we... we we need to have another week of prayer where we get together for, a, we set aside a whole week, we stop all the meetings and we get together and every night we get together and we just pray. And, and we need to have one of those again soon where we, we have this assembly where we just need to say, God, where are we with you? And where is our country with you? And cry out to the Lord for our leaders and to get serious about it. And, and fasting is like that where we, where we deny ourselves, deny our own flesh so that we might focus on Him. That's what the reality is. And we come again to verse 15. He said, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Again, he mentions it five times in this short little letter. The, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And he says here, the day of the Lord is near. They've already facing this, they're facing this complete and total desolation, devastation, this crisis, but yet something is still coming. The day of the Lord is near, and, but it's already bad. 
Someone defines the day of the Lord because I, I think we need to understand this. He says this, that the, this often ref, refers to the decisive intervention of God in history. And it can also refer to Christ's coming to consummate history. I think, I think there, we can probably say it like this. There's the day of the Lord, right? When, when, when it's all finished and Jesus, you know, he sets up his, he, he comes and he rules and he reigns. But, but even now there's the day of the Lord when God does things in the, in the history of our world. I think we're closer to the day of the Lord than we ever were. Someone else said this, it indicates a time when the presence of the Lord brings judgment and, and or deliverance and blessing. You know, is the final day near? Well, it could be. I think it very well could be from the things that I see. We don't know. And you say, well, but it's been like 2,800 years since he wrote this. And if he's speaking about the day of the Lord, you know, what, why, why is it taking so long? 2,800 years, that's a long time. This is why I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me, if you will. Because Peter talks about it too, doesn't he? And the New Testament talks about it, and we'll be talking about it when we get to 1 Thessalonians. The New Testament is speaking about it. Jesus spoke about it over and over again. But the Old Testament was looking ahead as well. They didn't have as much information as those in the New Testament did. But look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 and following there. He says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, like this one that we're reading today, Joel, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. You have the word of God that was given through the Old Testament, the word of God given through the New Testament. Verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been saying that for thousands of years. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. and The earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heaven, heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. It's just like two and a half days. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a, with a roar and the, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare since everything will be destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming what kind of lives should you and I live? 
you know, I look forward to the coming of Jesus. I look forward to the day of the Lord. I look forward to the, the coming and the, the fulfillment of all the end, end time prophecies. But let's keep in mind, and I think Peter realized this too. He said, let's keep in mind that when that happens, it's also a time of judgment, right? The seven-year tribulation, the judgment that we read about in the later chapters of Revelation, We'll talk about the rapture when we get to 1 Thessalonians, of course. But this is a time of judgment, and this is Peter saying this here. And so he's saying that, you know, that the, the, the patience of God, that he's holding back this day of the Lord, is really, uh, it's patience for us that people would come to know Jesus and be spared that judgment. As much as we want it to come, we need to realize that it's going to bring dis- destruction as well as salvation. But keep that in mind. He says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, verse 9, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come. That's, that's the heart of God. He doesn't, he doesn't do it just to, just to uh, hurt people. He, his holiness requires it, but God's heart is that all would come to him. All would come to him. We don't know when it's going to be, but, but it appears to be soon. But, but you know, uh, Peter talks about it here as well, that, that it's everyone to come to what? To repentance. Repentance is turning back to him. Repentance is going, changing direction, turning to God. That's what repentance is. It's not a bad word. Repentance is a good word, I think. Let's turn back to Joel. We'll finish the chapter there. Verse 16. Has not the food been been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The land is affected. The crops the herds, the flocks, all affect, and that's the economy of that time. Isn't it obvious? Joel is saying here, isn't it? Don't you see? Don't you see what's going on? But verse 19 and 20, he says, To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the open pastures. Flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the devoured the open pastures. To you, O Lord, I call. That's, that's the summary of it all. To you, O Lord, I call. Someone said this, that's the only meaningful course of action left. The only meaningful course of action left. To you, O Lord, I call. David Guzik said this, in, in this time all Judah could do was cry out to God. They were powerless to fix the problem. And God sent them to a place where only heaven could help them so they could look no other place. Is God involved? Yes, he is. But he wants us to turn to him and 
and see what he will do. It's interesting here that the animals were panting after him, and the, the animals seemed to be more in touch with what was going on than the people were. So are things bad? Well, I guess it is a matter of degrees, but could they get worse? And what do we do? What do you and I do? I think the message is the same then as it is now. To you, O Lord, I call. Warren Wiersbe again said this, that Joel wanted the people to understand what God was saying to them through the plague and the drought. And in our own times... The nations of the world are experiencing severe droughts and famines, frightening epidemics, unexpected earthquakes, devastating floods, and other quote-unquote natural disasters, all of which have greatly affected national and global economy. But he says this, yet very few people have asked, what is God saying to us? Very few people, very few nations have asked, what is God saying to us? That's the message. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we ask you, we come to you, what are you saying? Through your word, but by your spirit, what are you saying? Through the things going on in our country, the crisis, the economic crisis, the spiritual crisis, what are you saying? Lord, to you, O oh Lord, we call. You're the only one that can, can change, can fix, can help. Father, prepare us, Lord, spiritually, each one of us, for, for days that could get worse. Lord, help us to, to hear and to listen, but also to, to be a voice of hope and a voice of, of truth to the people around us, that the only truth, the only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he came to do and, and, and dying upon the cross for our sins and rising from the dead, defeating death. We turn to you, Lord Jesus, this morning. Maybe we're having a crisis in our own lives. To you, O oh Lord, we call. Our country, we cry out on behalf of our country. God, we call out to you, God. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on our country, God. Have mercy on us, our, the decisions and the direction that we've been going away from you, pretty much kicking you out of everything. And the fruit is coming up, and it's not good fruit. It's bad fruit. God, have mercy on us. We pray that you'd, you would revive our hearts, Lord, each one of us. It starts with me. Revive my heart to follow after you no matter what happens. Father, I pray here this morning as well that any who don't know the hope and the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, if that's you here this morning, you can simply pray and, and you can have the hope that comes through Jesus Christ by, by calling out to him and saying, Lord Jesus, I I come to you. I, I'm lost. I'm searching for truth. So I come to the cross where I am being told that you died for me, for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead. And I come to you today. I believe in you. I receive you today. 
Father, we pray for any that may are at that place, that valley of decision to turn to you, God. We pray you just fill them with love and hope. Father, thank you for us, Lord. May, may again, we, 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 Lord, we have some exciting opportunities uh, in the next uh, few months to reach out with, with the hope for hurting hearts, the festival of hope, uh, the Thanksgiving outreach, the huddle for New England. Lord, we, we have a lot of stuff going on in the next four months, five months, Lord, and we want to we wanna be a beacon of hope, Lord. And, and we know that it's not in society. It's not in entertainment. It's not in uh, cable TV. It's not in the things that the world has to offer. It's in you, God. And may we never forget that. And may we be the voice that points people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.